Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. If you have not heard references lately to 10,000 steps, you may have been paying attention. There's been, there's been some studies done that suggest that if people would just take 10,000 steps every day, that that would be good for their, their body. The amount of time it takes to take that many steps and the, the blood circulation and the, the movement that it takes. And some people drive their families nuts. They drive their co-workers nuts because they're doing anything and everything possible, walking around their house, walking around their office, doing anything to get their 10,000 steps. I've taken 7,045 today. I've got 2,955 steps to go. By the time I finish preaching, I should be done because I'm so nervous. I walk back and forth all the time. But we all know that whether we take our 10,000 steps a day or not, that walking is a good thing. Walking is good for our body. And walking is just good for us because we know it takes some effort. And even though it's going to take a little while to get somewhere, walking is a good way to, to get somewhere. It's not all that far away. But because it's slow but steady, because it takes a little bit of effort, it's no wonder that the Christian life is very often compared to a walk. There are other passages than these, but you might think of Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, where once we come out of the waters of baptism, we're told we rise to walk in newness of life. You might think of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, where Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, beseech you, to walk worthy of the manner, the calling in which you were called. And the twin epistle, Colossians, says very much the same thing in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, where Paul, again, the author there, said, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We know that concept, that the Christian life is compared to a walk. And there are other passages that do much the same thing. Put just a little parentheses right there for a second. We're going to come back to that concept in just a moment. But just for a second, I want to fill in something that's going to help us later in the lesson. This year on Sunday mornings, we're studying the words of Jesus. Our, our theme for the year is one word, the word of Christ. And on Sunday mornings when Tyler preaches or I preach, we're, we're simply talking about things that Jesus said. And you may have noticed the scripture that, that Reese read for us a few minutes ago that may have sounded kind of familiar because Tyler preached on a very similar text a few months ago in Luke's recording of the account of the gospel. You put together the four accounts of the gospel, and you have a full picture of what Jesus said and did that's revealed to us. But sometimes, one of the authors records something different than somebody else, and say, well, that's a problem. The Bible's got, got issues. No, the Bible has issues whatsoever. 
sometimes one author will simply be filling in different information. Remember, the four writers of the Gospels, of the Gospel had different audiences in mind. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Luke was writing to a Roman audience and so forth. And so they might choose different details to fill in the account for their particular audience. But also, sometimes Jesus said or taught the same thing at different times. But he might have used slightly different language. And so the only difference in those two accounts, the one found in Luke and the one found here in, in Mark that we're studying this morning, is that Luke includes the word daily. Take up his cross daily and follow after me. Now, close that parentheses for a second. I hope you'll see why I did that in just a few minutes. In Mark chapter 8, and if you open your Bible to Mark chapter 8, you'll have the outline right there in front of you. Jesus has been talking near the end of that chapter, very, very plainly, very, very clearly, about his death. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, in verse 31, we see these words. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that is himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And if you just glance at verse 32, you'll see that Peter kind of rebukes him. But then Mark tells us specifically that Jesus spoke these things clearly or said them plainly as the English Standard Version has it. He said them plainly. Now, there are other times in the account of the Gospels where Jesus said certain things but he kind of veiled it a little bit. For example, tear down this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And you remember those who were with him on that day questioned him because they they were thinking, wait a minute, it it took all these days and years to build this temple and you say you're going to do it in three days. And, And the Bible writers even have to tell us he was talking about his body, the temple of his body. That's not the case here. Here, Jesus is very explicitly, very plainly saying, I will be turned over by these groups of people, and I will die. That's the conversation. Jesus is talking about something that has eternity as its background, because it is the eternal plan of God that is in view in the text that we are reading and studying this morning. And we're calling our lesson this morning, The Perspective That Matters. Because with eternity in view, Jesus calls upon one of His most famous teachings, But here's the problem we have sometimes. I know I have it sometimes. In that reading at the end of Mark chapter 8, there are a couple of very well-known statements that Jesus makes. And it's very easy to study one or the other and never consider this is all one context. This is all one thing that Jesus has in mind. It has all to do with the eternal perspective. Now, we can make all kinds of points and all kinds of application this morning. But what I want to do is simply walk through this text at the end of Mark chapter 8 and make four points that hopefully will all drive toward the perspective that really does matter. And I'll give you the end right now. I'll go and give you the conclusion right now. All this matters in judgment. That's, that's, that's the conclusion. Now, don't take a nap because I hope you see how we get there. But all this matters in judgment. But number one, I want you to see that Jesus speaks of the coming. Did you notice how he began his words in verse 34? If anyone would come after me. Now in that phrase, I know there's more to it, but in just that phrase, Jesus makes clear a couple of very important things for us to keep in mind. He speaks about a desire and he speaks about a direction. Notice, first of all, he talks about a desire. If anyone would come after me. It should encourage us each and every time we read through the Gospels 
That while we should follow Christ in the way of God, while that needs to be our life, we are not forced to do that. God and Christ make it so clear that it must be the desire of our heart to do that. In fact, if it's not the desire of our heart, we're not really following after them. If we're just kind of doing it by rote or just doing it because somebody else did it or if we're kind of doing it robotically or whatever. But there has to be a desire in our heart to follow after him. If anyone would follow after me, and that's the direction, if anyone would follow after me. It is a powerful thought that Jesus is setting himself up here as the one that we should follow. We naturally follow someone. You say, well, aren't there natural leaders? Yeah. But even natural leaders look to other leaders to see how, how should I handle these situations or how did that person do that back in history or as the CEO of that corporation. Everyone has a natural inclination to follow someone in some area of their life. And, and Jesus knows that. He was the one, uh, the agent through whom creation came into being. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he is saying that our desire should be to follow the direction of him. The concept of being a disciple, by the way, has that as its background. We sometimes speak about being disciples of Jesus Christ. But that word disciple can mean several different things. It can mean one who learns, a learner. It can mean an imitator. And it can also mean a follower. When we speak of being a disciple of Christ, in part we're saying is, I am a follower of Christ. But in Jesus saying that we need to follow after him, that implies a whole lot of things. Here are just five very briefly. First, it implies that Jesus led the way. But it also implies, secondly, that he continues to lead the way because he said, if anyone would follow after me. He didn't just say, if anyone listening to me right now, or if any of you, this little group, or anyone in my time, he simply said, if anyone would follow after me. Jesus continues to lead the way. And it also clearly implies there are other ways we could follow. We, we are not created to robotically follow the way of Christ. Just look at the world around us. We know that's true. God has given us the choice to follow someone or something. Now, we hopefully know who to follow, but there are other ways we could follow if we so chose. But it implies that the way of Jesus requires a leader. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We need a leader. We need someone to set the example, to be the one we are to follow. And in five, it also implies the way is worth going. Following Christ is worth it. And that ties to what Jesus is getting ready to say in a moment. But we have to understand that the the foundation of all of this is there is a coming. We have to desire to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and have the direction of following him. May I ask at this point already, is that your desire? Is that really my desire? Now, it's easy to be sitting in a worship service and going, well, yeah, of course. But that's not all Jesus said in this text, is it? Because Jesus makes it clear that following him in the second place has some requirements. It's not just saying, yeah, I follow Jesus. He lays down some requirements that are very difficult if you really pay attention to them clearly. There are three in verse 34. First, Jesus said we are to deny self. Let him deny himself. Now, I don't know about you. When I read this passage, the one that Tyler preached on a few months ago from, from Luke this is the easiest phrase for me to, to just run over. That, that 
coming to me, I can think about that. And we know the next phrase it's coming, taking up the cross, and we can kind of jump to that. And for me, just personally, in kind of my daily Bible reading or whatever, I can so easily run over that phrase, let him deny himself, and take up the cross, get to that. But oh, we can't run over it. This is a powerful thought. And it's a very difficult thought. It's where the rubber meets the road, really. What did Jesus mean when he said, let him deny himself? Well, you think of somewhere else, similar terminology is used, you might get a hint. On the night Jesus was in his trials, you recall that Peter was the one who said, oh, I'll never turn away from you. And yet how often do we teach our kids and have sermons and everything about how Peter did what? Denied Christ. Well, how did you do that? I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I'm not with him. Now you bring that concept to Luke, excuse me, to Mark chapter 8. Jesus is not saying that I deny that I exist or anything along those lines. What he's saying is I deny that I am the captain of my own ship any longer. It's very similar to what Paul would write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. I didn't put the reference on the screens or in the handout, but you might also be thinking of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, but I live. I'm still alive. I still exist. But not I, but Christ lives in or through me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul was saying in those two passages, one to a church and one about himself individually, that denying self means I am no longer the captain of this ship. I am turning over the lordship of my life to someone else. I'm denying that I am the one in charge. Let him deny himself. Requirement number two is to bear a cross. Take up his cross, and Luke adds the word daily. I do not wish to downplay at all how we often use this phrase. But I want to make sure we understand what Jesus had in mind when he initially said it. You know, so often, maybe we find out we have some physical difficulty, some disease or something like that, and we talk about that's that's my cross to bear. I'm not downplaying that at all. I'm not saying it's a sin to use that phrase in that way. But we need to keep in mind what Jesus was talking about when he spoke about taking up a cross. He wasn't just talking about some kind of physical difficulty or some loss in life. Those could be the precipitating event. But what he's talking about is taking up the cross, which is the worst that this world could throw at us. Jesus knew something about a cross. And by the way, he knew something about a cross besides the fact that he would be going to one, and he knew that. Secular history tells us that about the time Jesus would have been somewhere around 10 or 11 years old, there was a man named Judas of Galilee. This is not Judas Iscariot or anyone else named in the New Testament. But a man named Judas of Galilee who led an insurrection against part of the Roman government did so by trying to take over a Roman armory. And if you study the Roman Empire at all, you know their big thing was peace. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And all they wanted was peace. You could, you could follow your own religion. You could have your own economy. That was fine. But you did not do insurrection. You didn't try to take over things. So they didn't take too lightly to Mr. Judas. In fact, their punishment was twofold. One was they took much of the village from which he was and sold them out as slaves. But then to make an example of him and others... They took approximately 2,000 people from his community and region and crucified them. 
and did so on roads that led in and out of the city of Nazareth. Guess where Jesus was raised? And so every time Jesus left his little community there for at least a little while, he would have been reminded of what crucifixion really looked like. He knew something of a cross. And Jesus also knew, being the Son of God, being divine, that his fate included the cross. Did he not just talk about that in Mark chapter 8? That's why I took the time to point out that context. I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests, the scribes, and so on and so forth, and be put to death. He knew something of a cross. And so when he tells us, that we're to deny ourselves and take up our cross. He is not only talking about some kind of physical difficulty. He is saying we need to understand we might face the very worst this world, including Satan, including temptation, could ever throw our way. By the way, the more faithful we try to be, the more Satan's going to do that, isn't he? He's going to throw the worst at us because he doesn't like it that you're faithful. He doesn't like it that you've denied yourself, that you really have put Jesus as the captain of your ship, and you're letting him lead the way. William Barclay, as he was talking about this concept, said that taking up the cross means, quote, to be ready to endure the worst that man can do for us for the sake of being true to God. And you also recall that it's here that Luke adds the word daily. That doesn't mean that Luke miswrote or Mark missed a word as possible. These are two different contexts. There were two different times. It's also possible Luke just included the word daily and Mark just didn't. But that does bring to mind that whole concept of walking, doesn't it? Taking up our cross is not just a momentary thing. It's also not, I'm going to take up my cross when I'm baptized because that's what Jesus said to do. But the very moment somebody says something negative about me being a Christian or me being a member of the Church of Christ, I'm going to set that cross down for a little while and then I'll pick it up again when things get smoother. That's not it. Take up the cross daily. It is a constant walk of facing the difficulties that this world would throw at us simply because we are trying to be faithful. Let him deny himself Requirement two, let him take up his cross. And requirement number three, follow Jesus. Follow him. You ever consider the order of those three things? Deny self, bear a cross, and then follow him. I find it very significant that the third one is third. (laughs) Here's why. I can follow Jesus because Jesus denied himself. He didn't consider equality with God anything to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Here is the Savior. Here is the, the Creator taking on the form of a servant. And, of course, Jesus bore a cross. Now, literally, he bore a cross, but did Jesus not also bear a cross pretty well every day of his life? Did he not face the worst that this world could ever throw at anybody? All the the temptation, all the the, the accusations, all the hatred, and constantly. And so when Jesus says, you need to deny yourself, he's already done that. When Jesus says, take up a cross, he did that figuratively and literally. And so how can I not but follow him when he's already laid out the path? Now at this point, knowing those are the requirements... Let me ask, do you really have the desire to come after him? Because he's made it clear it's not all that easy by those requirements, hasn't he? Oh, but there's more to this context. 
Because Jesus begins to give an explanation, and he does so through perspective. To put this all in perspective, Jesus reminds us that we're talking about eternal matters, something far greater than anything in this world. Read with me again what you see in Mark 8, beginning in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit or lose his soul? For what will a man give in return? Some translations have exchange for his soul. That's perspective. Because it ties back into this whole thing about denying ourselves. We don't lose our life just for anyone or just for anything. Jesus said to be saved, we must lose our life, deny ourselves for the sake of the gospel, the good news about him. And there are some times when that is literal. Even today, there are some times where people literally lose their physical life because they are faithful. I can't help, but when some of our missionaries come report, and I can't help but think of Brother Wayne Barrier specifically, when he comes to give a report, my family almost always goes home, maybe not in tears, but just moved, just emotionally moved. And sometimes because of wonderful stories, you leave with smiles, right? But not all, the, not all those stories are all that happy, right? There's sometimes he reminds us that even today, there are people who have literally given their lives just because they're a Christian, just because they won't deny Jesus Christ. But they'll stand up and say, I believe in Him. But there's also a sense in which this is figurative. I I may never die because I'm a Christian. I may never die for my faith. I need to be willing to. And that's why Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, that we must be faithful unto death. Literally means be faithful even if it costs you your life. But there's also a sense figuratively in which I give my life. And that's why those questions are found in verses 36 and 37 about gaining the whole world and losing our soul or giving something in exchange or return for our soul. That's why those questions are there. I don't know how often I've read those questions or heard those questions talked about. And it nearly always goes to things like material wealth. Often those verses are used in a connection, maybe with a sermon or a Bible class about the rich young ruler, you know, the guy who came to Jesus and what, what commandments do I need to follow? And Jesus named a few and he, he was able to say, I've kept all of them since I was a kid, you know, from my youth up. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And do you remember how that's, how that account ends? The man went away sorrowfully. And the text even tells us, for he had great or many possessions. I don't know how many times I've, I've heard people say that really it's not the sin that he had great possessions. The sin is the possessions had him. And so often we tie that mindset or that thought about material things to these questions. And that's certainly part of what's in view. But Jesus did not say whoever gains all of the world's wealth. He made a more general statement, didn't he? What if man gains the whole world? And by making that more general We can make a myriad of applications. What if I became the most powerful person in the world? Forget the financial stuff. What if I just became the world's center of attention? What if I became the social media darling of earth? I don't want that job, but what what, what if that's what I became? What if I became the greatest athlete the world has ever known? What if I became the greatest musician the world has ever known? What if I became an an intellectual unlike anything anybody has ever seen? If I gain any of those things and lose my soul, my life was a failure. 
That's what Jesus is saying. He's not only talking about material wealth. He's talking about anything and everything that this world might consider important or valuable or influential. If I gained all of it and lost my soul, I've failed at life because I've failed my eternity. And so with that in mind then, notice how Jesus draws this all together. We sometimes study these as isolated sayings. But notice how Jesus in the fourth place makes the connection. For whoever is ashamed of me, verse 39, excuse me, verse 38, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, after that, by the way, this is a place where a chapter breaks, not a really good thing, because chapter 9 and verse 1 makes it clear that Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and the kingdom will be established in the lifetime of some of those who are listening to him on that day. By knowing that, we know he's talking about kingdom matters, eternal matters, church matters. But for now, notice that Jesus talks about following him and how that should be the very desire of our heart. And now he seemingly, if we're taking these in isolated things, he seems to go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about being ashamed of him. But this doesn't go to the other end of the spectrum. He's talking about one thing. He talks about being ashamed of him when I don't deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow him. But did you notice it wasn't just being ashamed of him? Oh, that's part of it, isn't it? Whoever's ashamed of me, whoever's ashamed of me. And there are some in our world, of course, who are ashamed of Jesus. They, they don't like that, that he, he lived. They don't like this whole thing about God putting his son on a cross. They don't like that stuff. And there are people who, who just deny that or are ashamed of that. They, they don't like Jesus. Really, people who just don't like Jesus are really kind of few and far in between. Don't just like the name or whatever. But there are some. But that's not all Jesus said, is it? Whoever's ashamed of me or of my words. There are a lot of people, even some who would claim to wear the name of Christ, who like Jesus the servant. They like Jesus the one who would hold children. They like Jesus, the one who would go out and deal with, with harlots and, and, and the downtrodden and make certain that he was with the downcast of society. And folks, I love that Jesus too. I hope we all do. That's fantastic. But there are a lot of people who like that Jesus and don't like Jesus the teacher. Jesus the Lord. If you please, Jesus the expert. They don't like that. A passage we've studied a handful of times already this year, mentioned it several times. They don't like it. When Jesus said, I am the way, and no one comes to the Father but through me. They don't like that because it leads to, to all kinds of confrontation and difficulty. They don't like it that Jesus said gave a specific passage about marriage, divorce, and remarriage in Matthew 19 and verse 9. They don't like that. Even the passage we're studying right now. Some people don't like that Jesus would be honest enough to say that following me is hard. It's worth it, but it's hard. They don't like that. And we could use all kinds of other examples. And sometimes we can be guilty of that. If we're not willing to say all that Jesus taught and said, we are not presenting the Jesus of Scripture to the world around us. Yes, I love the Jesus that, that dealt with, with the downtrodden, the sick, and all. I love that. I love, I'm tempted sometimes to only look at those passages sometimes to encourage me to do better in those things. But I can't only talk about that and forget that Jesus said it's not just being ashamed of him, but being ashamed of his words. And what if I am? He'll be ashamed of me in the judgment. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, 
I'm going to paraphrase here. Lord, didn't we do a whole lot of good religious stuff? And he's going to say, I never knew you. This is not a proper English word, I know. But the scaredest (laughs) I ever get is when I read those words. Nothing in this world, literally nothing, makes me more scared than reading those words. To think that I could live a life where I've done some good stuff. And those people Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 did some good stuff. And to think I could live this life doing good stuff. But not stand for all that Jesus stood for. And then be in front of him on the day of judgment and hear, I don't know who you are. Folks, that should scare all of us. It should drive us back to our Bibles to make sure that we are presenting the whole of Jesus and the whole of the Scriptures to the world because I do not want to be Him to be ashamed of me in that day because I was ashamed of Him or of all of His teachings here. And that's the full context. It all goes together. I desire to come after Him so in judgment He's not ashamed of me. Do you see how it all goes together? This is not an isolated phrase followed by another isolated phrase followed by a nice little teaching that I need to make an application from from time to time. This is Jesus in Mark chapter 8 telling his disciples, I am going to Jerusalem, I am going to be turned over, and I am going to die. And with that in your mind, here is what you need to know. If you still have a desire to come after me, there are some requirements, and they're not easy. You've got to give up the uh, captainship of your life. You've got to take up a cross. You've got to take the worst the world is going to throw at you daily. And you've got to follow me, follow my footsteps, because I've already done this. And you've got to be willing to say, I don't care what this world has for me. I'm not going to give any of it in exchange for my soul. Because I love Jesus enough, and I love his words enough. That on that day, I want to hear him say, well done. Good and faithful servant. You get to enter into the joy of your Lord. And so, we walk. We don't walk every so often. We don't walk just for a season. We don't walk just when it's easy. We just walk. And we walk through some days that are sunny. And we walk through some days where the storms of life are raging. We walk through some days where we face very little temptation and we love those days. And we walk through some days where we think, I'm not sure spiritually if I can put one foot in front of the other. But I remember that there was one who denied himself and didn't just take up a cross. Listen to me. Listen to me. He took my cross. And I think I can walk in his footsteps.
who this morning is ready simply to walk down an aisle and give your life to the one who took your place on a cross so you never have to face one. That's how much he loves you. If you've never obeyed him, we're not ashamed to tell you what the Bible says. It says to have faith in him, believe in him. The Bible says you must turn from sin. We call it repentance. That's all the word means is turning away. The Bible says you must confess him as Savior and Lord. And we're not ashamed to say the Bible. The Bible says you must be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. We studied that last Sunday morning. If you've never done that, folks, think of what he did. And just follow him to Calvary where the blood will save you. But maybe this morning you are a Christian, but you haven't been living that way that really reveals that you are. Maybe you're kind of a Christian here, but I'm going to kind of leave that behind when I'm with this group of people or when I'm online or, or when I'm around that group. And I don't really want them to know that I, that I really believe all that stuff the Bible says. Take up your cross daily. Because he didn't give up for one second for you. Do you need to return to him? Do you need to come to him? Whatever your need is, will you come? Or we stand and sing to encourage you.